0: Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon.
1: From St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. From the New Living Translation. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that the people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
0: I think that was just an instant replay of when we all sang that earlier in the service. You all sounded lovely. It's really nice. It was on August 21st of 2017 when the total solar eclipse was clearly visible from parts of Illinois. I was living a bit north of here at the time, and so we had a decent view Theo was still home, not quite in school at that point, point. and so we made one of those little boxes that involved binoculars and blocking out one of the lenses so that the solar eclipse would shine down on the floor of the box, and we made a viewing device like that. It wasn't super high-tech, but it worked. It was really good. Around here, however, I understand that District 7 canceled school for the day, mostly because they didn't want kids staring at the sun and being blinded right when school got out. That's probably a good idea. SIUE set up viewing stations for their very first day of classes for the semester, and it was a really big deal around this area. I understand that it was down near Carbondale, where there were facilities that were booked out for a year at the little grassy campground because they were right in the ideal path of the total solar eclipse. It was a very cool event, but if I'm being honest, I was never really concerned that the astronomical occurrence was going to cause somehow or coincide with the end of the world. I mean, a fella can hope, but it ended up just being a fairly decent show. And even what I remember to be a fairly cloudy day, we got a very good view of this massive meteorological and uh, astronomical event. A little later it was November 11th of this year, many saw on the news in St. Louis about some sort of fireball that was captured on a lot of people's doorbell cameras. How many of you saw news reporting on that fireball and a lot of little ring cameras saw this thing coming down? It was fascinating. It was weird. But I didn't see any evidence of, like, doomsday cults or anything forming on the other side of that. Now, people have not always been so level-headed around these astronomical events, however. For example, In November of 1743, and several months into 1744, Comet Klinkenberg Chasseau came into view. It was on February 13th that the comet became brighter than any star in the night sky, and by February 23rd, the comet was visible by the unaided eye even in the daylight. It was the brightest comet ever on record, with six visible tails, and it was described as a singing comet because the particles of the comet that were interacting with the Earth's magnetosphere likely created audible electrophonic waves. People at that time knew what comets were. They were still freaking out because that is not normal. That type of meteorological astronomical event is not normal. It's super unusual, and people get concerned when there is an incredibly abnormal astronomical event taking place, especially If it seems like everything else in the world is a little unstable too. that leads to our first lesson. In every generation, there have been events that can be experienced as signs. In every generation, there have been events that can be experienced as signs. In the political context surrounding that visible comet, between 1744 and 1745, France had declared war on Britain. There were the beginning embers of a stirring rebellion in the American colonies that were just starting to spark. People familiar with Matthew chapter 24, verse 6 would recognize Jesus' caution about the apocalypse and his pending return when he said, You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. In that mix, also, Great Britain's first prime minister, Robert Walpole, died, and there was turmoil, a lot of uncertainty. It was also, again, a time of spiritual significant spiritual transition. In the Western world, amidst the First Great Awakening, which was a significant Christian revival that began in the 1730s, up to that point, modern preaching had appealed largely to the intellect, but was then shifting because of the influence of preachers like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, who were passionate speakers, whose words and example would usher in a rise of emotive spirituality, Also coincidental with that comment's appearing was the first Methodist conference in Old King's Foundry in London. That leads to our second lesson for this morning. Music has the power to bring hope to troubled hearts. Music has the power to bring hope to troubled hearts. Eleven years prior to these events, two English brothers, John and Charles, traveled to the last of the established American colonies named after King George to help chaplain the colonists and to try and convert the natives of America. We're going to focus for a moment on Charles Wesley, who was the co-founder of the Methodist movement. Charles was a deeply methodical and disciplined Christian. It's part of where the Methodist name came from. And he was a strong proponent of accountable discipleship and lived that way through Methodist weekly class meetings, where participants in those class meetings were asked simple, superficial questions like, what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? What temptations have you met with and how were you delivered? What have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt it to be sin or not? Simple, you know, base level questions. Charles was also a romantic and pragmatic theologian. Charles and John had visited Wales to preach, and during their stay they were put up by an evangelical Anglican named Marbaduke Gwyn, who regularly offered boarding to visiting evangelists. And while there, a 40-year-old Charles met a 20-year-old Sarah or Sally Gwyn. Charles painstakingly returned to preach there at the wealth village of Garth and consequently asked for Sally's hand in marriage. Now, Marmaduke was concerned that his daughter would not be able to live in the comforts to which she had become accustomed, and so he required that Charles would give evidence of consistent income, and learning about Charles' need, Charles' brother John published many of Charles' compositions in two volumes of hymns and sacred poems, providing his love-struck younger sibling with a guaranteed annual royalty of 100 pounds or about 27,000 of today's dollars. Now, did Charles publish timeless hymns of great theological worth to make money just so he could get married? No. But did it help? Yes. So, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, the song that we're focusing on today, was first published in a collection of hymns titled Hymns for the Nativity of Our Lord, which was printed in 1745. It was printed among 18 other carols. You can see there's this image from a collection of hymns called the Christian's Duty Hymnal, which is in 1791. It appears similarly. This is an 1880 printing, which is uh, one of the Methodist hymnals as well. And you can see in this representation that the hymnals of this time, what were they missing? Music. They didn't have music in them. It was not consistent. There there was music in the printing, partly because people were not generally musically literate, and so a song leader would be at liberty to select a familiar tune to match the meter of the song for congregational singing. You know that the first instance of a Methodist hymnal using printed music to accompany lyrics was in 1878. And up until that point, hymnals were like these little PowerPoint screens that people kept in their pockets with lyrics but not music. Now, the song was sometimes listed as two stanzas of eight lines each or four verses of four lines each, but it depends on the musical setting and how it's sung for how it would be printed. The lyrics are commonly connected with Stuttgart or Hifidrol, which seems like Hogwarts houses or something like that. Stuttgart was included in the Salmodia Sacra of 1715, composed by German Christian F. Witt. It was later tied to a Welsh tune by Roland Hugh Pritchard, hyphrodol, meaning pleasant, a tune that's also connected with Charles Wesley's Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. Come thou long-expected Jesus, he wrote, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Lyrics call to mind Jesus' first sermon, drawn from the prophecy of Isaiah, where he proclaims, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners set free. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Israel's strength and consolation, Charles Wesley wrote, Hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to raise in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. All is promised by the angelic messenger in Luke chapter 1. Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, And you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. By thine own eternal spirits, Charles wrote, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne There's a representation of Jesus' promise to allow to see in church in Revelation chapter three, where he says, "Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my Father on His throne." What is that church's victory that they won? They would turn from lukewarm faith and hear the knocking of Jesus upon their hearts, and would let them let Him into their lives. They were prepared for what seemed to be the world coming to an end in the midst of a Roman persecution. They were prepared to hold fast to Jesus as he was clinging tightly to them. Come thou long expected Jesus in true form as an Advent song contains lyrics which both prepare us for the celebration of remembering Christ's birth and the event of his second coming. And above all, it calls us to preparation. That leads to our third lesson this morning. The season is a time of spiritual preparation to ready our hearts for more of Jesus. Our families put up some decorations. We constructed our pre-lit tree. We got a string of lights around our door, because that's about as high as I want to get on a ladder right now. We decorated gingerbread men. That was a good time. We've done a little present shopping it's getting pretty serious in our household, like we don't have 16 more days left to accomplish everything before Christmas Eve is upon us. All that stuff is in getting ready mode. So how do we prepare our spirits? There are all sorts of things that we've done to decorate and bake and start to do our shopping, but how do we prepare our spirits? Well, here we get to take some cues from John the Baptist, who we heard about in this morning's scripture. He's an unlikely figure in the Nativity story, even though we sometimes read about how John leaps in the womb of his mother when a pregnant Mary comes to visit them, he's Jesus' cousin. And this text is connected with an Advent season because he's the one who ministered in the wilderness to prepare a way, a pathway for Jesus. And here's John's pattern. It's prophecy, preparation, and proclamation. Proclamation. Prophecy, preparation, and proclamation. I'm going to take a moment to set the prophetic stage for John. We read in Luke 1, 13 through 17, the angel said to Zechariah as he was ministering before the incense table of the Lord, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord." from this morning's scripture we read how Isaiah foretold this I'll send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice calling in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight paths for him It gives description of Mark in I'm sorry it gives this description in Mark chapter 1 verse 6 where John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt was around his waist he ate locusts and wild honey why did they give like a fashion review of what John was wearing why does that matter at all, other than it seems itchy and uncomfortable? Well, in 2 Kings chapter one, verses seven and eight, we hear about how somebody's inquiring about a local prophet, saying, what sort of man is he, the king demanded? What does he look like? And they replied, he was a hairy man, or wore a garment of hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Elijah from Tishbe, the king exclaimed. So not only was John in the line of Elijah, he also dressed like him. He had a similar wardrobe what about locusts and wild honey? Why does it mention John's diet? These are kosher, these are clean foods, acceptable in the, the Jewish practice at the time. It didn't seem very clean to us. I don't think no matter how well we baked it, many of us would be really excited about eating locusts, but there they are, right there for John's diet. Now, John went to prepare the spirits of countless people who came to seek a deeper relationship with God. We read about what he did. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And the whole Judean countryside came to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized in the Jordan. John's was an unauthorized revival. He upset a lot of people in the establishment because the people who were up in Jerusalem, those people in the Judean area, they had the center of religious life then. They had a monopoly on religious expression at the time, and they had what they thought was exclusive access to the forgiveness that God had to offer. And so John's message and ministry brought with them a renewed conviction and spiritual awakening without going through the proper channels. The power structure was nervous. His actions were shaking things up, but people who came to him were better prepared for what they were about to hear and experience. And this was John's proclamation, his message. After me comes one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John was telling people, people who were coming out in masses to experience his ministry, if you think this is good... If you think this is good, you ain't seen nothing yet. So how do we use this time to follow John's pattern without purchasing a whole camel hair wardrobe? Well, we spend some time in prophecy. And as Jan mentioned earlier during the children's message, that means we tell the stories of Christmas. We repeat the stories of the season. We open up a dusty or disintegrating Bible. We read from Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2. We spend time with what God has done so we can better recognize what God is doing and what God is about to do. How do we prepare? Well, that's mostly by keeping our hearts ready and watchful. Jesus does unique things during this season, and we get to be a part of it if we are attuned to Jesus. And like what we talked about last week, we get to confess and hand over our sin to God before it can take root. That's an important part of this preparation And then there's proclamation. There are all sorts of celebrations around this season that are about okay things. But we get to ask God if our celebrations are lifting up Jesus. We don't get to just keep Christ in the safe word of Christmas. We don't have to take a sucked on a lemon sour face about it if somebody wishes us happy holidays or something because I've seen Christian people do that with a particularly bitter brand of Christmas cheer. We get to reflect the love and grace of Christ in the season. But most of all, we get to keep Jesus at the center of our celebrations this season. And if we're fortunate enough at this time for someone to ask us why we're glad, what is the source of our hope, our joy, we can let them know, because we've been prepared for this, that it's Jesus. That it's Jesus. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we don't have these grand meteorological or astronomical things that are causing us to have despair, but you know maybe there's a, a degree of that in what we see happening in the world around us. There's a lot of confusion, instability, uncertainty. There are wars and rumors of war. And Lord, there are times when we are anxious for your return, when you would come and, and make things right. And so, God, we proclaim with Scripture, we cry out, just like the hymn, come, long-expected Jesus. And we pray that as you hasten your arrival in a time we don't know, that with you, you would bring justice and mercy and overwhelming love, that you would turn us to one another in kindness and that you would set things right that this world you so lovingly created would be restored and the scar and wounds of sin would be washed away and we would have the opportunity to celebrate with true and unbridled joy we thank you for this so grateful for the chance to experience even glimmers and glimpses of that during the season We pray that it would be carried with us throughout the entire year. We love you and thank you in Christ's holy name. Amen.